Hi, my name is Jake Christofferson, and this is my story. I'm 17 years old and a senior in high school. I grew up in a pretty average Christian home. I lived in Nevada until fourth grade and then moved here because my sister was training for the 2012 Olympics. We started coming to Lakeland almost immediately, and I thought it was a blast. We moved around a bit, but we eventually made our way back. I became really active in the youth group during my eighth grade year. The youth group allowed me to branch out and learn to meet new people. It helped me learn to socialize, especially going on all the trips, or as I like to call them, adventures. Each trip had its own set of amazing memories and brought our youth group together. At youth group, I found a place where a kid with any troubles, no matter how big or small, could go and find consistency and comfort in a group of people that were always there to love you. This was good for me because in the spring of my sophomore year, my mom got sick, really sick. Doctors weren't sure if she was going to survive, and they still aren't. We moved to Florida to get medical care for her, which was hard for me because I had to leave a community I cherished. But people at Lakeland helped me make a way for me to still go on the trips. This was a chance for me to go to a place that I could breathe and reflect and be with people that love me. Through activities and journaling and alone time, I was able to reflect on who I was and what was going on inside. One night on the Badlands trip, I found time and space to pray on some rocks, staring out into the nature. I felt so small and yet amazed that God could love something so small like me compared to the rest of his creation. This really helped me connect with God. This is what Lakeland trips are about. The trips are good for people having hard times. They're good for students uh, and people to grow closer to God. They are good for helping us better ourselves as people. I'm thankful that I've gotten to go on seven adventures with people I love, and I'm looking forward to number eight this summer. I'm thankful for the people that make these trips possible. I hope Lakeland keeps doing these trips because they make a difference. I especially wanted to give a shout-out to the Bouldry family for letting me live with them to finish my senior year of high school while my mom works on getting better. My name is Jake Christofferson, and this is my story. Well, continue to, continue to pass the gas there while I start the message. For those of you on podcast, believe it or not, that's the name of a fundraiser this morning. All right. So, uh, while you are contributing, I want to um, start with a story about Christian television personalities. So, you know, like local people who are famous, known, and they also are Christian. So, we had an encounter with a Christian television personality here at Lakeland years ago that I want to tell you about as we start today. So, years ago here at the church, we wanted to do a drama about political correctness in the media. So we wrote this great deal about this news team and they're writing a story, but because of their political correctness, they have to keep changing their terminology. And we thought, wouldn't it be hilarious if at the end of our drama, we had a real newscaster pop up on the screen and read this crazy headline where all the terms have been changed? You know, haha, that'd be funny, but you know, you'll never get a, a newscaster to do that. Well, the next week, our music guy, Chris Lee, he was at some Christian engagement where there was a panel of speakers and one of them was a local news anchor from Kansas City who was a Christian and he gave his testimony. So Chris brings me back this guy's name and says, hey, you should call this guy, see if he'll be in our drama. So this is how Chris thinks. Everything's all faith. It's all going to turn out great. Everybody would just love to help a little church that meets in a movie theater, even though they're a busy newscaster. So, so, but he's very 
persistent and very insistent. So I knew that if I did not actually call this guy and get a no from him, Chris would never stop bugging me about it. So I called KCTV5, asked for the newsroom, and who should answer the phone but this exact guy that he's talking about. So I'm like, okay, here it is. We're a church in Lee Summit. We meet in a movie theater. We've written this drama about political correctness in the media. We had this one line we thought it'd be funny if a real newscaster was there. So um, would you be in our church drama? (laughs) And he goes, oh, that sounds like fun. I'd love to do that. Can I meet you for lunch to talk about the script? Oh, uh, okay, yeah. So uh, where do you eat downtown? He goes, oh, no, I'll come into Lee Summit and meet you where you are. Okay, well, we have uh, 54th Street. Okay, great. So by now, Pastor Dan's in on it because this has all gotten weird really fast. So here we are meeting with the news anchor from KCTV5 who's going to be in our skit. And um, as he sat there and told us his story about what Christ had done for him as he tried to pay for lunch, as he quoted scripture, as he talked about his wife and kids, there was a a presence, a holy presence coming from this guy. And so humble. You know, I worked for a church, but I sat there thinking, that guy's a real Christian. He's not trying to dazzle me, and that's what's dazzling me. I mean, I just... He's, he's just who he is, and he's just so grateful to God, and I am, I am blown away. And I walked away thinking, God is, works really differently with people than, than what I think. He really does things that are beyond what I... I need to step up my game. I am not really a very good follower of Jesus. So, next day I emailed him our script. Like I said, I would. He calls me at my office. He goes, oh, I read this script. It's great. I said, well, okay, now we have to film you. I'm so sorry. Can we get together and film? He goes, well, that's why I'm calling you. He said, what would you think if I filmed it down here at the news station so it would have all the effects and the look that you want? I said, well, okay. I said, I don't know if our people would know how to use all that equipment. He said, no, 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 no. He said, I'm going to ask the news team to stay into the dinner break to film this extra segment. Like, <laughs> wait, you're going to ask the KCTV5 news team to skip 15 minutes of dinner to film our church skit? He goes, oh, yeah, they'll type it into the teleprompter, and then I can do it in one take. So it's just like Anchorman. They really can read whatever you put into that teleprompter. <laughs> and so I was like, uh, yeah, sure, that's great. Okay, they filmed it on a Thursday night. He calls me Friday morning. This is now the third phone call initiated by him to do my project. He says, okay, we filmed it. I want to bring it by your church office and give you the tape so if it's okay, if we need to redo it on Friday night. I said, I'm sure it's fine. I said, I could come down to the news station and pick up a videotape. He goes, ah, I'm going to be in Lee Summit anyway. I'll just bring it by your church office. So why are you in Lee Summit? He goes, well, I'm doing an investigative report, but I can't say more than that. (laughs) I said, okay, so you take some time out of your investigative report to drop by a tape. Sure. Bring it by. He brings it by. It was amazing. So we had decided by that point, we decided to have this guy share his testimony. So we did the, did the drama. He popped up. It was a great, everybody went crazy. And then he gave his testimony about how Christ Jesus had changed him from a shy boy who could never look anyone in the face into someone who could look a million people in the eye every night. He left Kansas City. Oh, I also want to say that his thank you card, thanking me for the opportunity to serve the church, arrived at my office before my thank you card, thanking him for doing all that, got off my desk. 
He left Kansas City uh, years ago for a different news market. So I don't, just to see where he was, I typed him into YouTube a couple of months ago. And I got to show you this, this video I found. So this video, is sp- he's supposed to be doing a newscast on how bad the weather is and how dangerous the streets are. But when they go to his segment, he's not there. Watch this video, see where he is. All right, well, we appreciate it, Todd, and we will uh, check back with you. That is our Russell Kinsel right there, 14th and Chestnut, uh, helping a motorist passing by trying to get unstuck. Russell, you're being a good Samaritan here. Can you hear us right now? Yes, I can. This is the second car that I've tried to get unstuck. This was a rear-wheel drive, and we got some momentum going, but once he started going sideways... A little bit earlier, there was a Volkswagen GTI that was over here, and the reason he got stuck is because he stopped, and where the, the street has been plowed and then driven over, that kind of snow is really, really slick. So this guy stopped behind the city uh, metro bus, and it stopped, and <laughs> that was what he did wrong. He actually stopped, and he was by the curb where it's kind of slick, too. And Oh, okay, we got three of us here now. Well, Russell, we, uh, our slogan is we never stop watching out for you, and uh, you're proving it this afternoon. I don't want to be flipped here because this is not no. a funny situation, but Russell, uh, good work there. You helped get the guy going. That's not the hey, first car you've pushed, is it? No, that's the second one I got unstuck, and I got a feeling that before the day's over, there are going to be a lot more. I like how he tried to like work it into the newscast, like, oh, yeah, here's how you push a car. I think he was just pushing people out of the snow, and it was his turn, and, you know... <laughs> Whatever you thought about God and whatever you thought about followers of Christ, after meeting Russell Kinsall, you walked away thinking something different. You walked away thinking this God must be better than we ever could have imagined. He represented, he represented, he represented the kingdom of God. So Jesus had these kind of perspective-changing moments with people. There's this moment when this woman was caught in adultery. So all these guys drag her down the street to Jesus and throw her down. They're like, okay, our law says this woman must be stoned for committing adultery. What do you say? Well, instead of Jesus saying, yeah, stone her, or no, it doesn't matter, just let her go, Jesus says, let you who is without sin throw the first stone. And it said everybody walked away from that encounter thinking something different about God than they thought when they started. Jesus later tells this story about this ungrateful son who took the family inheritance and totally wasted it on women and drinking and partying. And then when there was nothing left, comes crawling back to ask to be his dad's servant. But Jesus says in the story that while the son is still far off, the father who's been waiting for this moment rushes out, greets him, hugs him and says, the son of mine that was lost has been found. And everybody who heard that story walked away with a different view of God the Father than when they sat down to hear it. And then, of course, there was that night in the upper room before Jesus is crucified. He stands up and he says to his disciples, I am your master and none of you is greater than me. But then he gets down on his feet, on his knees, and he starts washing their feet like a house slave. And he says, because I have washed your feet and I'm your master, you must wash each other's feet. This is what masters do. Jesus represented God. He represented God in a way that you never forgot once you saw it. And everyone, this is what the church is supposed to be. 
our job, our purpose, our very identity is to represent, to represent the kingdom of Christ so that anyone who leaves here on a Sunday, anyone leaves a men's retreat, anyone leaves a woman's game night, says, I thought I knew who God was when I showed up there, but after seeing that, I think he is someone much, much better than I ever imagined. We come this morning to ask in this new year, what does God want from us? And the answer comes back to make this community a community that represents, that represents the kingdom of God. And we do this by having totally different values, totally different things that are important than the rest of the world. I could be on a newscast and sh- or I could just put my hoodie on and push people's cars out. You know, totally different values. And our values um, are represented here at Lakeland by the phrases surrender together love on those banners. Now you have a card in your handout today that has surrender together love on there. These 16 or 17 values have guided us over 20 years. We have built these. These transform our community into something that represents the kingdom of God. Now, these probably aren't the only, these certainly aren't the only 16 or 17 things you could put on here. Probably not even the best ones, but these are strong and these have a power and these have guided us for a good 10 years now. So you look at that panel under surrender. Now, no one wants to sit here for a 16-point talk. So let's just go to the two that are the hardest, right? Let's just go for the throat here. The two values that are hardest for us to trade under surrender, solitude and generosity. Oh, boy. Generosity first. We, first thing we have to do is we have to claim the life-changing power of generosity for ourselves, We all know, because we live in this culture, our greatest fear is the fear of not having enough. Financial problems and fighting about money are the number one reason people get divorced in our country. Have you and your spouse had it out this week about finances? And how much despair did it bring you? Take any social problem that we're having in America and ask, why can't we just solve this? Start peeling back the layers, and how quickly will you find that it's something to do with greed and materialism is what's causing it and why we can't get it fixed. But through this spiritual discipline of tithing, we make this statement that slays the materialism dragon. When we say, I don't care about this, I don't fear this, I don't rely on this, I give the first 10% of what I make back to God and to the work of God as a symbol of who do I trust, who do I follow, who do I fear, and who don't I trust, who don't I follow, and who don't I fear. And in that moment, we walk away saying this most peace-giving truth. God provides. And then we take that truth, everyone, and we share that with the world. Think about your coworkers or, or your boss who, in that vulnerable moment, will tell you about things going on at home and how they're struggling financially. How much peace would your coworker or your boss have if they could come to Christ come to know Christ, hear this message, and if they could say, you know what, God provides. So we're going to represent God as provider. The other one on here that's really hard is solitude. 
First, we have to set ourselves free. Now, through solitude, we escape one of the biggest traps of our culture, and that is meaningless busyness. The fact that all our schedules were so full last week, yet you ask us, what's the the most important thing you did that made a difference? And we can't list a single thing. How do we fill up all our schedule and not do something worth remembering? Meaningless busyness. But when you engage in solitude, you actually do what you came here to do. Nobody really came here this morning to, uh, to hear me talk. You came here this morning in one form or another to hear from God. In solitude, you actually accomplish your goal. You actually hear from God. When people come to me these days for spiritual direction, you know, they come, their lives are in confusion, they can't find purpose. Um, I'm finding myself giving the same prescription to almost everybody now. I tell them, go outside and find a block in your neighborhood, preferably with sidewalks if if you've got that kind of neighborhood, and walk around the block. And on the first street, I just want you to pour out everything to God. I want you to talk and talk and talk and rant and yell and cry or whatever you need to do, but you tell God everything you just told me plus all the stuff that you didn't tell me. But then you're going to turn a corner and you're going to go down the second street. And on that second street, now be silent. Now try to quiet your mind. Try to quiet your heart. Push it down. Push it down. And see if above all that you can't hear God saying something to you about everything you've just said to him. And then you'll turn the third corner. And on that third corner, start talking again and say back to God what you think you just heard him say. So I think, Lord, what you're saying is that I need to... Now, if you didn't hear anything from God on the second corner, that happens from time to time. On the third one, just thank God for the whole street about anything or just the one thing in her life that's actually going right and give thanks for that. And now you're on the fourth street and you're on your way back home. And on this fourth street, be silent again and see if the Spirit won't affirm that you heard correctly. Maybe you didn't quite hear correctly and God wants to change it just a little bit. Or if you didn't hear anything, use this fourth street just to calm your heart, calm your mind, so you can go back into your house and not act like a crazy person. This 20-minute walk that I'm prescribing is the beginning of solitude. And then when we have it for ourselves, we share this with others. How different would your brother-in-law be? How different would your sister-in-law be? If they could come and they could hear the message of Christ and learn about solitude, how different would their life be if they could take a 20-minute walk a day to hear from God? So we're going to represent, we're going to represent God as listener and counselor. So you go to that middle panel together. Again, no one wants to do 16-point sermon here. So let's just take the two that are going to be hardest for us. Let's just go right for the bullseye, okay? Training hard today. Oneness. Oneness is one of the hardest ones on there. Our unity as a church, our unity amongst ourselves. First, we need that power to transform us. My dad used to give us this great saying as a kid. 
uh, as kids, he'd go, kids, the church, the church is a beautiful and a perfect thing. And then all the people show up. We get fussy with one another. We get irritated with one another. There's a lot of passion in this room. It's only the most important thing for all eternity. That gets us worked up a little bit. So, you know, we get worked up. Now what are we going to do with that? Well, when we do our oneness right, when we deal with our conflicts with each other, faces, not texting. Texting doesn't count. Okay, faces. When we deal with one another instead of gossiping, instead of avoiding one another, instead of running away, instead of lobbing things back and forth on social media, we experience in that moment the core of the message of God, forgiveness. When we extend forgiveness to others, when we receive forgiveness, we're experiencing the core of who God is. Jesus said, if you can't experience giving forgiveness to someone else, you can't receive it from God. Your heart won't work in just one direction like that, Jesus said. And then we take that maturing force and we share it with others. Imagine if your parents could come to Christ. Some of you have come to Christ before your parents have. Um, imagine if they could learn this message from Christ that instead of, of calling you to gripe about your brother or sister, imagine if they had the spiritual strength to go to your brother or sister themselves, to take them out to dinner and to say, what you said hurt me. And then the two of them could come to an understanding and apologize and forgive and not make Thanksgiving and Christmas so awkward again this year. You guys aren't laughing enough at this stuff. You must be so uncomfortable with your situation. That is not funny at all. <laughs> your parents need Jesus. And so we're going to represent the kingdom as a kingdom of forgiveness. All right, small groups. Let's try again. Turn on your humor switch. It's located right there. Um, okay, first we have to open up, because this is going to get real uncomfortable if you don't think it's funny. So first we have to just pretend you think it's funny, even if you don't. We have to first open ourselves up to the power of community. Okay, small groups is one of the hardest things maybe on the whole sheet, because it has two things going against us. Number one, we're too busy. Now, we've made ourselves too busy even to have friends. We have 800 digital friends, half of whom we actually don't really like either. So we don't have time for friends. And then we're too picky. We've made ourselves too picky. Now, everybody annoys us. Uh, that's why we don't hang out with anyone, because this guy, you know, he's on some weird diet, and he won't shut up about it. And then this person, they're nice enough in person, but they post crazy psycho stuff on my Facebook wall. And this one, I like them fine, but their kids, ah, they're rude and noisy. And this person, I like uh, him or I like her, but the spouse, they're too opinionated and mouthy. And they're, they're pets. They smell bad and they won't quit jumping on my lap. We have infinite numbers of reasons why we won't hang out with people. But then you know what happens to you and I. Without community, you and I go crazy. You and I get crazy when we are outside of community. Because you know what? We have hurts. You and I have hurts. You and I have frustrations. You and I have depression and, and things that don't go the way we want. And then we, whatever we think about in our own mind about that makes perfect sense to us. This is where it gets crazy. What we think in our own mind makes perfect sense to us. Now, if we'd ever say that stuff out loud to someone to their face, we'd realize as the words are coming out, uh-oh, this is crazy. Actually, never mind. Forget I said that. That's not true. 
You know I practice these sermons four days a week in an empty sanctuary. And I imagine your faces, especially those of you who sit in the same place all the time. And you know that sometimes, as I imagine saying these words to your face, that I'll mark out sometimes an entire page. Made, it made perfect sense when I wrote it, but now that I imagine saying it to you, I'm, that's kind of crazy. Actually, that's not true. I'm not going to say that. With other faces, sanity sinks in. Without community, I feel all alone in my problems. I think without community that my kids must be especially lazy. My kids must be especially disrespectful. My kids must be especially brain dead. They are headed on the one-way track for homelessness or prison. And I have got to stop this before I get stuck with the bill for it. But then I go to small group. And in small group, quite by accident, I hear other people telling these stories that remind me Every 12 or 14-year-old acts like that. And so I can go back home and I can just enjoy my family and stop acting like they're on the fast track to living in a van down by the river. (laughs) Without community, when I go on vacation, I call relatives who live 30 minutes away to water my plants. That's crazy. I'm calling relatives who live 30 minutes away to water my plants. When if I was in a small group, I'd say I'm going on vacation on my poor African violet or whatever I don't have. I can't keep a plant alive to save my life. (laughs) (laughs) And this is why. But anyways, someone in my small group would go, I live 10 minutes from your house. I'll come water your plants. In small group, we are healed. And then we take that healing and we use community to heal the whole community. Imagine if your neighbor or your best friend could encounter the church and have someone to go to when they go off the rails. If we take this gift Jesus is giving called community, you and I can stop acting like weirdos all the time. We represent the kingdom of God this year as a family that helps us be real. Flip over to love. We're running out of time for love, so let's just go to the one that you and I are avoiding the most. Tell your story. To tell the story of what Jesus Christ has done in your life to someone who is far from God. So the Bible, Romans chapter 10, verse 14, says, How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And that someone is you. How will your boss or your coworker or your brother and sister-in-law or your mom or your dad or your best friend or your neighbor ever find out any of this if you don't tell them your story of what Christ Jesus has done? Oh, no, some of you are saying, I am not doing that. That is too invasive. That is too awkward. That is maybe rude. I I just don't feel right. I'm not doing that. Come on. Think about them. You love them. You care about them. They need this life-changing message as much as you did once. Maybe more. You can overcome your fear and awkwardness for their sake and share Jesus with your neighbor. I'll tell you how. First, 
Share Jesus with your neighbor, people you know. Let me set you free from the picture you may have in your head that now you're running around at the grocery store finding random strangers and say, I noticed you're buying corn. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Uh, I get hit up like that on airplanes by people. Ooh, it's so awkward. And I certainly don't tell them I'm a pastor because then they really want to kick talking into high gear. Um, You know, no one wants to badger strangers. No one wants to badger strangers. Now, if God wants you to share faith with a stranger, and he sometimes does do this, he will call on you in a way that you will know, and he will have already prepared the heart of the person to hear it, and then you'll both see kind of God at work. And he does that sort of thing. But that's not your primary mission field. Your primary mission field is the people you already know, already love, already work with, already encounter day to day. Maybe it's the waitress. You go every Friday, same waitress. It's people you already have some experience with you. That's your, your primary mission field. So that's the first thing. It probably made it 100 times easier than what you're picking, picturing in your mind. Next thing, start simple. Just let them know that you go to church and you like it. It's just as, it starts out just as simple as that. So everybody's sitting around the water cooler at work talking, what did you do this weekend? Oh, I see, I went and saw that movie, Hidden Figures. That was a fantastic movie. And then on Sunday, we went to church. Um, the, the sermon was okay, but the band is really great. I love the music at our church. And then just stop. Just leave it at that. And some people around you will go, they go to church? But they're so nice. Maybe at some point, someone may come to you and go, you know, I've been kind of thinking about going to church. My kid asked me who Noah was the other day. It kind of creeped me out. Is everybody at your church normal like you? And you know what I mean. <laughs> maybe, maybe that won't happen. So a little later in the relationship, you've established you go to church and you like it. You didn't act like a fool, right? You didn't post weird stuff all over social media, right? All right, so now you can let them know the real difference that Jesus Christ has made in your life. So, you know, you're sitting at a family dinner, and everybody's doing the dishes after, everybody's griping about their spouse. And, uh, and you can say, you know, I went to a class on marriage at our church. And they told us that, you know, God made us all with different personalities. Sometimes with our spouse, we think our spouse is wrong, but what we learn is they're really just made to see things differently. And when we learn to love those differences, save my marriage. And then just stop. Just leave it at that. And some people in the room will be saying, I didn't know Jesus could save your marriage. I didn't know Jesus could get you out of debt. I didn't know Jesus could help you with, be satisfied with a job you don't really like that much. Huh. And maybe, as happened to my wife, somebody may come back around to you later and go, okay, so what kind of church do you go to again? Tell me more. I'm curious. They might not, too. So a little later in the relationship, you can just go ahead and invite them if you think. That's why we print in the program the messages we're going to do for the next several weeks because your friend may someday ask you, something, you go, you know what, we're doing that next week. We're doing that in a couple of weeks. You should come. You should come. Now be ready. The average person has to be invited to church seven times before they'll actually show up. That's the average. That means some people are like 14ers. So... Seven times before they actually show up. So just prepare yourself for that. Uh, we have folks coming to church here who say, well, I, my friend at work invited me every Friday for a year. <laughs> so I finally came. But now they love it, right? 
when they come, when, they, when you catch wind that they're planning on coming, uh, wait for them in the front of the lobby. You want your face to be the first one they see so they have a friendly face and be shown around. Um, so, uh, now be prepared for this. The first three times they tell you they're coming, they'll actually chicken out, right? Because the devil is always at work. So they'll chicken out and they won't show up. And you'll have stood out there for nothing. But on the fourth time, maybe, here they are. Okay, you're saying, well, what happens if on the day they show up, I'm supposed to be in coffee bar? On the day they show up, I'm supposed to be upstairs with the fifth graders. Okay, go to the coffee bar and tell them, my brother-in-law that I've been inviting for a year has shown up today, and you are off a of coffee bar duty. I'm the only one. We will close the coffee bar, okay? I'm not even joking about that. That's, the whole church was built for this moment when someone's far from God, gets invited, and they come. You are off coffee bar. We will give those fifth graders a VeggieTales video to watch because Jesus said, Jesus said, when one sinner repents, there is a rejoicing in heaven over one person. If we're getting anywhere near maybe that happening in the near future, that is, that is job one, mission one, main event. Most important thing. Most important thing. Everyone will understand. Because they want to sit in here with you. They don't want to sit next to strangers. They were brave enough to come here in the first place. So they want to sit with you. And then if, they've been, if they stick, they start coming for a while. My preaching has not, has not frightened them away. Um, then invite them to join the milestone journey, to find where they fit on the milestone journey. So we have this milestone journey, and uh, if people are far from God, they should just start at the beginning. That's pretty easy. But maybe the person you know actually is a Christian, but they've just gotten far away from it. They may actually start somewhere in the middle. So go to Newcomer's Brunch with them and, um, and help them find where to start this path of discipleship that we all walk together. We all walk together. Now, what are the rest of us doing on this Sunday? Well, whether my friend shows up or not, there's someone's friend here today. There's a couple people here probably for the first time today. So what are we doing? Our job is to make sure this place looks like the kingdom of God, a representation of a God who is more amazing, more crazy in love with us than we ever imagined. We have to tear down every stereotype that the church is just filled with cranky, judgmental, crazy people. So the coffee has to be hot because hot coffee is normal and cold coffee is weird unless it's meant to be cold. All right, that's another thing. I'm going to move on. So the coffee has to be hot or cold as appropriate, but the barista must be friendly. The kids' ministry must be fun and exciting and high quality, and their kids got to walk out of there and say, I want to go back there next week. The fifth through eighth graders, they show up, they run around the soccer field, and they do something spiritual, not just one or the other. One is meaningless, one is boring. Put them both together. That's a great Sunday morning for a middle school kid. The band must be rehearsed, and the lights and the sounds on cue. Um, The pastor studied and prepared, and we hope bringing the life-changing hope of Christ. The small groups have to have a few chairs open for your friend. The greeters look people in the eye and welcome people with a smile as Jesus did. And people walk out of here with a different picture of God than when they walked in. So for the rest of the year, everyone, this is what we are about. Letting these spiritual disciplines and that milestone path change us. Change us into authentic followers of Christ. And then making it a place where others can encounter this same journey. This God who is more amazing than we ever imagined. And walk this lifelong discipleship path, milestone path 
with us all together. If you're with me, say amen. amen. All right. Well, let us stand together, and with this worship song, a good friend of mine reminded me this week of the importance of old hymns. We have an old hymn to prepare our hearts for this mission of representing the kingdom of God through our lives. Let's sing it together.